afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. You have tuned into the Rebel News live stream on this, a Thursday, August 12th, 2021. I'm David Menzies, and my co-host, well, my co-host, she is the silver lining 24-7, regardless of any situation. She is the she-devil with a sword. She is the Khaleesi of Northern Alberta. She is Sheila Gunn-Reed. How you doing, Sheila? David, you are the pep talk everybody needs in their life. When you're struggling to work, you're like, my hair's bad. I can't get the lighting right in the studio. And then you get on air with David Menzies and it's like, none of it matters because he just gave you the best intro in the world. So thank you're you, You're so David. kind. But who's going to give me a pep talk one of these days? Actually, quite the reversal, Sheila. Yesterday, oh, no. during the live stream, this is the part of the show I'm going to go on a tangerine. You remember Seinfeld, Festivus, the airing of the grievances? Well, I tuned mm -hmm. in yesterday to watch the live stream, and it was High Energy, Andrew says, and Mocha, and they brought up the possibility of the Big Turk candy bar being canceled because it's offensive to the Turkish people. And of course, Mocha is a Turk himself. Uh, and he's a big Turk. Uh, he's pretty tall. Uh, anyways, you can tear down historical statues. You can censor certain Dr. Seuss books. Um, you can cancel culture, sports team nicknames and logos. But you know, Sheila, this is the iconic candy bar of my childhood. Uh, alas, I cannot eat it anymore. 35 grams of sugar. <laughs> you may as well give me a hand grenade to eat. But yeah. I am drawing the line at the cancel culture mob when it comes to canceling the big Turk candy bar. That's all I got to say. You know, it's kind of funny, even with that 35 grams of uh, sugar on the package, uh, it um, professes to be a healthy alternative given that it has no artificial flavors and no artificial colors. But this brings back fond childhood memories, and I'm not going to let the cancel culture people either cancel this or rename it as something stupid. I mean, what would you rename a Big Turk candy bar as? So there. Do you know what, though? Now you've got me thinking, because as you were prattling on there about a chocolate bar that nobody's seen in 30 years, I was thinking about... Um, Cuban lunches. Do you guys have Cuban lunches in Ontario? Or What's is that just like a prairie thing? It's a Cuban lunch. Uh, prairie people, Albertans, get in the YouTube comments right now and tell <laughs> me that you know what a Cuban lunch is. It was, it's like this little brick of, I guess it's chocolate, but I think it's mostly butter, but like brown butter masquerading as chocolate because you can't have it at room temperature because it <laughs> melts and it's got some peanuts mixed in and it's wrapped in like red wax paper and it's insanely decadent. It was discontinued for a while. I wonder if it didn't kill people uh, because it's just like sugar and butter pretending to be chocolate. And then they, it was discontinued, then they brought it back, and it was all the rage, and it was, there it is! Whoa, yes. Holy mackerel. <laughs> yes. And, okay, so that's got the brown wax paper on it, but sometimes it has, like, red wax paper on it. And basically, it's just, like, I think it's mostly cocoa butter, really. And uh, it, it came back into stores here in Alberta, and it would sell out, like, constantly, because it was, like, the Big Turk, the um, candy bar of ch people's childhood. 
But I think that we should just continue that, completely cancel it, not for <laughs> how uh, bad it is for you, but how it's just false advertising because it's leading people to believe that Cubans actually have lunch. And we know that that's not true because they're so impoverished by their government. There's no way in heck that anybody in Cuba would ever indulge in a, a candy bar when you're struggling to just deal with the fact that your government has cut off the internet and you can hardly get food and and uh it's just terrible there and here in canada we're eating chocolate bars called cuban lunch and i think it's kind of gross you know you raise a great point it'd be like having a brand of champagne called uh north korean select right you know, yeah like, that's what i'm saying as the people are eating grass to stay alive there uh i thought you were going down the road that uh the cuban lunch was offensive to the cubans uh which i'd find very hard to believe because the cubans i've met in my life sheila are cut a very uh, hearty stock, uh, shall oh, yeah. we say. And I wonder if a Cuban lunch is something you can actually buy in Havana. You know, it, it's much like when I go to the US, I'm always baffled that when you go and order a pizza, they have an ingredient topping called Canadian bacon. And no one in Canada <laughs> refers to a brand of bacon as Canadian bacon. I think they mean pea meal bacon, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you don't call Canadian. it Canadian. Does any Canadian in Canada uh, order from the pizzeria, oh, can you put some Canadian bacon on the top? It doesn't exist here. Yeah, our bacon just is just bacon. <laughs> it's bacon, just like bacon. Like their bacon, our bacon, it's the same thing. I don't know how we got stuck with pea meal bacon being called Canadian bacon. That's just ham. It's yeah, just I, ham. I guess so. So <laughs> much like Canadian bacon in the U.S. Uh, not existing in Canada, perhaps Cuban lunch in Cuba does not exist oh, either. De oh, definitely. Definitely yeah. not. The Cubans <laughs> are not eating that. That's that's my point. That's why we should cancel it. It is false advertising. Okay. It's pretending like there's decadency in Cuba. We know that's not the case. Um, you know, just get rid of it. Okay, get get then. it out of our stores. <laughs> well, Sheila, before we get canceled, why don't you tell the folks what we're trying to do here today? <laughs> oh, yeah, it's 10.06 here in Alberta, and I haven't told anybody what we're doing here. And I know some of you get mad because I go through the spiel every time that I do this um, on Tuesdays and Thursdays. But we also have to assume that there's new people here because we're rounding up new people all the time. So... You know what? If you don't like it, go get a coffee. Come right back. I'll be done in 90 seconds. Um, this is the, the rebel. And have a Cuban lunch while you're at it. No, don't. That's straight diabetes wrapped in wax paper. Don't do it. Anyway, don't take your dietary advice from David Menzies of all people. Anyway. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I know. Uh, hair by Chia Pet, body by Tim Horns. I've heard the <laughs> insults, okay, but carry on. <laughs> I'm not I'm not hard on anybody's hair. I can't. Anyway, this is the, the Rebel News daily live stream. It used to just be hosted by Ezra Levant on Fridays, um, but then the pandemic struck, and we thought there's more news than ever, and a lot of you were sitting at home, and we were grounded as rebels. We couldn't fly and travel and cover all the stories that we wanted to but there still was news and we still wanted to talk to you and we definitely wanted to talk to each other so that's how the rebel daily news live stream grew um it used to just be on youtube and it was a great revenue source for us because you could do something called a super chat to support the work that we do willingly but youtube um went full evil the mask sort of slipped away after biden was elected and they 
completely demonetized us. So we don't have the ability to do that. But we do have 1.5 million YouTube subscribers that we don't want to abandon. And YouTube want, doesn't want us there. So that's a good enough reason for me to stay. So we are also on other platforms that, more importantly, don't care about what we have to say. They just are sort of free speechy. They don't care about our politics. And that's perfect. I don't want a platform to be either left or right. I want them to just be a place where we can engage in reasonable discussion. And so that's why we broadcast on Rumble. We also broadcast on Odyssey. And Odyssey has a bunch of different ways that you can support us. You can buy some of their library cryptocurrency. I don't know anything about cryptocurrency and neither does David, <laughs> but we'll take it. Um, and you can leave us a tip there or a, uh, a hyper chat. And if you don't want to buy their library cryptocurrency, good news, because you can leave us um, a tip using regular old fiat currency. However, I think for now, they only allow you to donate in U.S. currency. But you know what? You guys are smart. You can convert it to Canadian pesos if you want um, in your mind. Um, and uh, we're also on super you which is also a great free speech platform and you can tip us as a creator there also so that's the whole roundup of what we're doing here today Sheila, i gotta tell you not only do i not know anything about cryptocurrency <laughs> and not only do i get more ignorant the more i read about uh cryptocurrency yeah, in an effort to educate myself but i heard on the electric radio yesterday as i was driving along <laughs> somebody has pulled off Potentially a $600 million cryptocurrency heist. And that terrifies me because I've got a tiny, tiny little bit of cryptocurrency. Has somehow somebody managed to steal that from me, you know, because they're a computer genius? So, um, and when they say it's gone, it, it's evidently gone. Um, I, We really, you know, the two of us should sit down. We should. I don't know, hire some expert in cryptocurrency to teach us how it works, how to keep it safe, and how to prevent you from being swindled out of it by you know, some 19-year-old uh, on a computer in his grandmother's basement who happens to be a computer genius, which I clearly am not. So can you imagine 600 million, whew, gone. I just know where, like, if I have to go to the gold mine, I can look and see and people are taking gold out of the ground and it's there and I can yes, go and touch it. And same with silver, same with platinum, same with diamonds, although there's, you know, some concerns about how diamonds are artificially inflated in price. But anyway, I can actually go see where those things come from. I just don't know where cryptocurrency comes from. How does it, how does it, get created? Where does it come from? And how does it become worth something? That's, I can't figure that out yet, but I know it's on my list of things. I must figure it out. I have to, oh, or I'm going to be left behind. Sheila, diamonds are 100% artificially inflated. Yeah. Uh, here's the challenge. Get your diamond ring folks appraised and then go to a pawn shop and try to get the appraised value. You'll be lucky to get half of it. De Beers controls the diamond market, and yep, basically, yep. they are responsible, Sheila. It's quite fascinating. I think for the most brilliant marketing line in the history of marketing, which is, a diamond is forever. Which means, when you get that diamond, when you get your wedding ring, Sheila, that is like a member of the family. That's like your pet. You don't pawn it. It is forever because the De Beers marketing plan is yep. much like McDonald's. When McDonald's sells a Big Mac at lunch, it doesn't come back on the market. It's gone, as in forever. If 
5% of diamond owners were to go to pawn shops tomorrow and turn in their diamond rings, the diamond market would collapse. Uh, that is a fact. So yeah, um, if you're skeptical about cryptocurrency, don't go the diamond investing route. That's no. for sure. Right? You know, David, I've watched or I listened to a podcast about <laughs> diamonds and how De Beers, that was the most probably su most successful marketing campaign in the history of the world, 100%. really, because before De Beers sort of got into diamonds and sort of then ended up controlling, frankly, much of Africa, um, it wasn't a thing to no. have a have a diamond engagement ring. And then once they convinced everybody that you have to have a diamond engagement ring, then they said, Oh, by the way, you have to spend three months' salary on it. Yes. And by <laughs> and by the way, since we own the entire diamond market, we'll we'll artificially inflate this thing so that it is worth three months of your salary. And now you have to buy it, or you're just a bad husband and you're starting off your marriage on the wrong foot. I mean, it was what a scam, anyway. Oh, it's As the you, scam of the century, Sheila. And and one other. By the way, mine's yeah. in the gun safe because I don't even <laughs> wear it because it gets stuck in my work gloves because it's so impractical. And it's Canadian, by the way. You know, uh, and there's one other element to the diamond scam, Sheila, and it's the stigma associated with pawning. Uh, your wedding ring. If you were to tell your friends, you know what, I'm pawning my wedding ring, the first thing they go is, oh my God, what's wrong? Is the marriage over? I mean, if you were selling your car, uh, they, that big deal. But to actually go and divest yourself of the diamond ring, like I said, it's, it's like, you know, kicking out a member of the family or putting your yeah. dog down. And I mean, I have to admit, it's brilliant, you know, what, what sure. went into, uh, but that's uh, that's the diamond story in in terms of investing in diamonds. I, I mean, unless it was something worth millions and millions of dollars, like the world's largest diamond, I could see that at auction. But little chunks of glass, you know, on your ring. I'm sorry to break it to you, folks. It's pretty much worthless, <laughs> especially especially when they can literally be created in a lab yeah. with much less work and that they're literally uh, structurally the same. The yes. only difference is you didn't have, you know, slave labor digging them out of the ground. Right. And and now they've got this other thing going fancy colored diamonds, right? Yeah. It's just a color, right? But anyways, we've spoken too much about this. Um, uh, I guess we should uh, get going. You know, Sheila, our first story is my uh, visit along with Mocha to uh, Trinity Bible Chapel in Waterloo. And folks, since April 30th, these congregants have been locked out of their church, but the sermon goes on. And Sheila, you told me something very profound. I never thought of it in these terms. And it was through the lens of what was happening at Grace Life Church in Alberta, that the building, that's just bricks and mortar. You can, yep. The state can fence it off. They can put padlocks on the church as they've done at Trinity with notices that if you tamper with it, you're going to be charged with contempt of court. You can do all that, but there's something more to a church than just the yeah. physical building. And it was um, it was moving, I thought, to see hundreds and hundreds of people on the lawns, locked out of their church just a few meters away, conducting the sermon, uh, having baptisms uh, taking place. And, um, you know, I'm really glad you put that in perspective to me with, with Grace Life, because when I first saw 
people protesting outside of Grace Life. And remember, a section of the, the, the fence came down. I was going right on. But then you yeah. saw members of the church helping the authorities uh, erect it because they don't want to go that route uh, because that would fly in the face of, you know, the building is the be-all and end-all of our religion, which it isn't. So I think, you know, I want to thank you for, for that education and faith. And I guess we can just uh, throw to the video and uh, show you a, a few moments of what it was like last Sunday. So the last time we talked, David, I think we were just, we'd just been locked out of our, our facility. Um, at that point, we were also awaiting a sentencing. And so now we have been sentenced for contempt of court. So this is our second contempt of court sentencing. Ooh, okay. okay, so the first contempt of court sentencing cost us, that was for January, that cost us 83000 And this particular sentencing, we was just given about two weeks ago, I think it was. And it's cost us 85000 plus um, whatever the court costs are going to be. Last time court costs were 45000 So this could be over 120000 plus and the... Yeah, plus the 83 from a few months back. Now, does that include, I mean, I, I think you've personally been fined uh, $10,000. Uh, some of the church elders right. have been fined a similar amount. Yeah. Uh, are you including that in that dollar total? Or? No, that that is not included in the dollar total. So actually, if I got my maximum sentence, I mean, I don't know how this is going to end up, but if I got my maximum sentence, I think I'm up for a maximum $1.1 in 11 years in jail is the max. The church itself is $60 million and each elder is within the hundreds of thousands of dollars. So, yeah. And the crux of the matter, according to uh, the Crown, is that you were allegedly violating COVID-19 protocols. You know, as the Premier often says, all options are on the table. But at the end of the day, when organizations and individuals put the rest of our community at risk by traveling to a region that is in outbreak or having um, these gatherings that lead to, frankly, some pretty disturbing outbreaks, uh, it puts all of us at risk. So I hope that the vast majority of people will continue to do the right thing. And that is, of course, stay home, stay safe and save lives. What does that mean when we look at the nitty gritty of that statement? Uh, well, it, what it means is we weren't turning people away from our church. Mm -hmm. And so I, I'm of the belief that this this church, our church does not belong to the crown, doesn't belong to me, it belongs to Jesus. And and he doesn't turn people away that come to seek him. And so I don't want to turn people away from the church. He needs to have crown rights over his church, and we want to uphold that. You know, Sheila, the perversity is off the charts here. Um, you can shop till you drop at government-owned and operated liquor stores. Uh, if you're a member yeah. of the Toronto Blue Jays, you qualify for a national interest exemption, meaning you don't have to go through all those COVID-19 safety protocols. But if you're a church, it's a different set of rules. I guess what Pastor Jacob should um, have his congregants do, Sheila, is um, wear the uniforms of Major League Baseball teams and serve beer in the church and then just pretend it's Sky Dome and then every Everything is a-okay. Yeah, well, and it's it's really kind of interesting to watch the government completely misunderstanding Christianity mm. because it it looks like uh, the church there has outgrown its building. So even if they let them back in, yeah. so many people have found Jesus 
and found religion and found faith, that thing that they needed to get them through these dark times of lockdowns, because it's not the pandemic that's the problem. It's the government overreaction to it. They, they've started coming to church, and it looks like even though the government has seized their building, they will outgrow the building if the government ever lets them back in. The same thing happened to Tim Stevens. They are in another location because they've outgrown their building. And when I was at Grace Life a couple of weeks ago, they're talking about shopping for new real estate because they have they have an enormous building and they've outgrown it. Wow. So not only is is their um, their you know church space full. Their lobby is full. The upstairs is full. And they've got tents outside at Grace Life and a sound system outside at Grace Life because they've outgrown their building. And that's clearly what's happening here. You, the church in Aylmer. I mean, they've got people who are who are not uh, part of that congregation, you know, like the, the Church of God. They uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, but they seem to be um, much like my Anabaptist friends out here in Alberta, either a Mennonite or Hutterite. They you know, just based on their dress alone. I don't know a lot about their theology, but they've got other types of Christians coming to support them. And it looks like, um, you know, that they're bursting at the seams too. So this is the government misunderstanding the history of the church, because every time the church is persecuted, it grows and it'll grow and it'll grow. And you know what? This is trial by fire. Mm. Where as, uh, as uh, Pastor Jacob pointed out, um, this is really separating the wheat from the chaff, if you will, when it comes to our Christian leaders, the ones who capitulated, the ones who folded and the ones who stood up and met their obligations as pastors. And, and you know, so Sheila, I, th I think that's a brilliant analysis. What you're saying, if I hear you correctly, is by locking down these churches, by heavily finding these churches, the government has experienced its own um, Barbara Streisand effect. Um, Bingo. Yeah, people aren't fleeing. People aren't cowering to attend. And by the way, I'll tell you something. With this particular um, uh, church, Trinity, um, some individual congregants, if you can imagine, going back to the spring, they were followed home by members oh, of the I Waterloo Police Service and fined, I think it was, I think it was the 1250 fine, um, which is absolutely loathsome. But instead of this creating a, um, an element of fear and intimidation, like you said, people from other churches, even other faiths have come to show solidarity. Um, and if, um, if folks aren't aware of what the Barbara Streisand effect is, it's all about a photo that was on the internet uh, and her uh, admonishment of it. And because the lady doth protest too much, it went viral. Um, so that's fantastic. That is a, 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 you know, you couldn't ask for a better outcome given the government bullying. Well, and, you know, for the people of faith, people who believe the Bible, um, it, when you read the Bible, you know that persecution is built into the built into the faith. Not only is it uh, part of the reason the church grew, but it's also, you know, what it's founded on. And in the Bible, not only are we warned that persecution will come for us, but we are promised that it will come for us. And so for a lot of people who have read the Bible and said, you know, I believe a lot of these things, but I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not seeing it play out in my day to day life. This is the thing that played out in their day to day life. And it makes their faith stronger because now they are they're living the word of God instead of just reading it. You know, and Sheila, just one little epilogue on that Sunday visit, um, you know, Pastor Jacob, his lovely wife and their lovely kids. Oh. The congregants that were there, 
You couldn't meet nicer people, more polite people, uh, if you sought them out. Uh, they're almost like, if there was an opposite of Antifa, if there was such a thing as anti-Antifa, <laughs> that is who you met in Waterloo at uh, Trinity Bible Chapel. Isn't that just the, the theme of all of this persecution of the churches, though? If you, to meet Tim Stevens and his wife and his brother, Trevor, the nicest, kindest people, like the thing that yeah. you aspire to be, this yeah. great, wholesome family, they pray together, they study the Bible together, mom stays home, ton of kids. Um, likewise with Pastor James Coates, this man who came to Jesus after not living an especially Christ-like life, um, finds Jesus, becomes, you know, the shepherd of this church and, and leads the battle against the government for religious freedom. So nice, wonderful wife, lovely kids. Um, likewise with Pastor Jacob. And those are the bad guys yeah. during the pandemic. Those <laughs> yes. are the bad guys. Like what planet are we on right now? Unbelievable. Well, let's hope, um, you know, they were blessed with a gorgeous uh, August Sunday afternoon. It was uh, warm. Actually, it was uh, super humid. Uh, being Canada being Canada, we know these days are numbered. Let's hope they get into their church before the, the really bad weather uh, ends. I mean, for goodness sakes, the province is practically uh, opened up fully under the um, grotesquely named the Reopening Ontario Act, which is all about closing it down. So, um, you know, my, my heart is with uh, Pastor Jacob in terms of getting actually into his building. Uh, this is so undeserved. Uh, it, it's, it's shameful of the Ford government. Um, speaking of conservatives, <laughs> we have an Adam Seuss video. It's a beauty. So it reminds me of so uh, one I did two years ago when I went to Young Dundas Square with a photograph of Andrew Shear and said, who is this man? <laughs> Check it out. <laughs> Actually doing today, we're taking to the streets to see if people can identify this gentleman. Is he running for mayor? No, nope, not running for mayor. No. The conservative, uh, what's this guy's name? Conservative leader. Uh, the name's not coming to my head right now. Oh, I don't know who that is. Not a clue. Is that Bill W? Unfortunately, no, I don't. No, no. no I don't know who that is. Yeah, he's a tool. <laughs> <laughs> tool? Oh, Tool, is that a pun? Yeah, yeah. What do you think about him? Not much. Not much? No. And so what do you make, the reason we're out here, we're seeing if anyone knows who this man is. Lots of people don't. You clearly do. Um, there's, there is a risk of an election uh, looming over us at any it's moment. Scary, yeah. yeah. What do you make of an election being called during these COVID restrictions, all this lockdown chaos? I think it's a waste of time and money. And uh, you know what? Are we talking national or are we talking provincial? Better. Well, one's no better than the other. No, it's a waste of time right now. Really, People can identify this man. Unfortunately, yes. Who is that? That's Peter O'Toole. Aaron O'Toole. Aaron Close. O'Toole. Much, <laughs> most people have no idea. What do you make of Aaron O'Toole? I think he is a pumpkin. <laughs> he's a total fool. He's useless. He's a terrible conservative. And uh, the worst thing that's happened to the conservative party so uh, another question then perhaps is what do you make of potentially calling an election with all this chaos going on in the world and craziness? I think it's very politically astute of the Liberals. They're probably going to win a majority. Um, I think they're probably, I mean, how, how long since the last election? 
It was October 2019, so it would be early, but oh. they'd be trying to... Is that soon? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think they probably want a majority. Yeah. And they think they probably, with the amount of money that they've spent and with uh, reopening and the way the economy is kind of going, they probably think that that's a good time to, to call it. What do you think the Trudeau play is here? Uh, the Trudeau play... Um, well, I think he keeps doing what he's doing. He's not unpopular, unfortunately. Uh, I think we've got a weak leader here for the Conservative Party in O'Toole. So, um, move Justin Trudeau out of this office into a more appropriate office. We've got something lined up. <laughs> he's just got zero chance. Little charisma. He's not really engaging of Conservatives. Um, but, you know, Trudeau will capitalize on his base. He's moved left, so he's kind of uh, captured a lot of the NDP um, type of voter. So I think he's looking pretty good, honestly. Uh, honestly, I don't really see him actually calling an election. Uh, unless somebody calls an election on him, I don't think he'll actually do anything about it. Um, whether you agree with his policies or not, when you're in a position, you might just ride it out till the end. It's probably a good idea because I don't want Trudeau out. Oh, you want Trudeau out? I think that Trudeau is capitalizing on an opportunity where he's riding a bit of a wave of positivity through the promotion of his agenda through the media. And Aaron O'Toole is participating in that rather than being a counteractive element to that. And do you think it would be beneficial? Yeah, so Sheila, Prime Minister Pumpkin, does one laugh or weep? You know, Conservative HQ, you have... A problem because <laughs> when when uh, Adam and I were sort of workshopping ideas for this video, I thought, you know what, let's just go right back to the basics. You are in Calgary, the most conservative city in this country. That's conservative stronghold. That's Fortress Calgary for the Conservative Party. Go out to the streets of Calgary, where everybody's expected by and large to vote conservative and ask them if they know who Aaron O'Toole is, and they didn't. And the people who did know who he was, they didn't really like him. And that tells me they've got both a messaging problem and a, a brand problem with Aaron O'Toole that they are going to get absolutely destroyed with if the election is called, it sounds like, September 20th. Well, I I, th I think, unfortunately, it's going to be a slaughter. Um, yep. You know, Sheila, it's a bloodbath. I couldn't have said it better. Uh, most didn't know. Those who did know said, yeah, unfortunately, I do know who that is. Um, I'm going to replicate that test at Young Dundas Square. I think it'll be uh, just the same. But it, the real estate matters here. As you said, bastion of conservatism at Calgary, to have so many people unaware that this is the leader of the federal conservative party. And like I said, two years ago, we d I did the same thing at Young Dundas with Andrew Shear. And it was surreal because at Young Dundas Square, it's kind of like Toronto's version of a scaled down Times Square. There's a giant city TV video monitor. And as, at one point when I was asking the questions, there was Andrew Shear giving a speech, uh, 60 course. feet tall. He was the King Kong size version of Andrew Shear. Year. And um, uh, people still weren't cluing on. And, and probably the best or, or perhaps the worst response, it was a young lady who said, oh, yeah, yeah, I know who that is. Um, it's, um, oh, what's his name? He's, a, he's, a, he's in um, Kingston doing time for murder. She was talking about Paul Bernardo, the serial killer. That's who she thought Andrew Shear yeah. was. Oh, my goodness. So when I saw Adam's piece, 
I went, this is deja vu all over again, and yeah. this does not bode well. And one quick thing, if, if Mr. Producer is able to get this up, uh, a, okay, well, I, I, um, he can't get it up, but uh, I sent it to you, Sheila, and I sent it to Ezra. Um, a friend uh, dropped by the Aaron O'Toole rally in Richmond Hill, which is a riding they almost won. In fact, the candidate there in the 2019 election, Costas Minigakis, went to bed as the winner. Uh, guess what? When the mail-in ballots uh, were counted, uh, turns out Majid Johari, uh, the liberal candidate who actually supports the Iranian regime, if you can imagine it, was the winner. I, and it was a neighborhood of about 100 votes. It, I, I think there was something rancid about that whole thing. But anyways, this was a riding where the Conservatives very, very, very nearly won in 2019. The photo I saw, it was like, I think, including the cameraman, about a dozen people at this rally. It was something that made a Joe Biden rally look like a Trump rally. I think that bodes very darkly for those who have hopes of a conservative win, Sheila. Yeah, you sent me that picture and the electricity just jumped right <laughs> off my phone screen at me. It knocked me out of my chair. It was pathetic, actually. Yeah. Um, and I was just thinking about the timing of this election call. Of course, it's opportunistic because a lot of provinces aren't open yet. And a lot of these uh, voting stations are going to be in municipal or uh, provincial or maybe even federal facilities. And those might uh, need vaccine passports to get inside, mm. depending on where you live. And that just occurred to me. But secondarily, Albertans are going to municipal elections in October. So we've got we've got to survive two campaigns and not get everything all mixed up. I, that d hardly seems fair to us. Oh, my gosh. I can just imagine the number of signs on the highways and byways of Alberta and the amount of blind spots as you try to merge into an intersection. But uh, I don't. we digress. Well, and it's you, just before we go on, a lot of the campaign volunteers are the same people. You know, ah. like they're, they're, you know, so you're going to uh, really stretch our campaign volunteers very, very thin as they try to run two simultaneous campaigns because Justin Trudeau is an opportunistic ghoul. Yeah, could you imagine that? Uh, ding dong. Hey, have you heard the gospel of Aaron O'Toole? Buzz off. Okay, how about Joe Schmo running for local <laughs> Yeah. Can I tell you about Mike Nickel? He's running for mayor in Edmonton. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I think we have some uh, chats. Do we not, Sheila? Uh, we definitely do. And David, we must make sure that we talk about the things that are listed in the YouTube <laughs> description because I get the emails you don't. So uh, we have to. We, we have and that's to make the sure way. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I like it. I think that's how everybody likes it. I'm the people person at the company. Um, we, we've got uh, we've, we have to talk about the whistle stop suing the Alberta government yes. and the new luxury tax on one hundred thousand dollar vehicles, which means you know, the entire oil patch. But anyways, that's uh, a very important topic. Yeah, we have to, uh, both of them are actually Sheila. So let's get through these chats and get to those topics. Okay. So you've got a hyper chat from history club world it says, according to CNBC, we can expect an election called this Sunday with a vote happening September 20th. Yeah. Do you think that 
this will happen or not follow history club world on Instagram, your hub for educational content on Instagram. Um, I am fairly certain that that election call will happen. Um, I, I have my reasons for believing that, but it sounds like several sources from within the, uh, liberal party have already confirmed that to numerous news outlets. So and I have one major reason to believe it, and it is thanks to a commentary by the lovely Sheila Gunn-Reed indicating that another nanny has been uh, hired. So that means they're dusting off Sophie uh, <laughs> to bring on the campaign trail for those yeah. photo ops. Um, I think that's the proverbial proof in the pudding right there. Yeah, they're, you know, they're dusting the cobwebs off Sophie Trudeau and taking her out of storage. And she's going to get out there on the campaign trail and pretend to be a normal middle class wife who's not completely uh, awkward around her husband and he's not completely awkward around her. They're going to go to all those places that they think normal middle class couples go to on Saturdays, like the pumpkin patch or the farmer's market. I could not for the life of me think about dragging my poor husband to a pumpkin patch, but apparently that's what Trudeau thinks that normal people do. And so we're going to see a lot of that, especially if they're campaigning through the fall. The pumpkin patch, Sheila, why would they be looking for Aaron O'Toole? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> anyway. Uh, anyway. Okay. Anyway. Uh, we've got uh, <laughs> JT400 says Canadian bacon is back bacon. Yeah. 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 It's not our bacon. We did. Did we invent it? I don't know, but it's just like ham covered in pea meal. It's, it's a little different ours. than ham, I would say. But yeah, back bacon is what a Canadian would say. Um, and uh, but uh, say back bacon in the U.S., they don't know what you're talking about. Much like if you say the uh, the name of the last letter in the alphabet as Z as opposed to Z. I really want to find out, Sheila how Americans, uh, you know, pronounce that letter as Z as opposed to Z. Every English-speaking country uh, in the Commonwealth, it's Z. So how did it become Z? If uh, maybe History World can do a little uh, historical researching and find out why that is. was I don't know. I'm going to end up on some sort of YouTube internet rabbit hole trying to figure that out. Thanks, David. Um, we've got a, we, we've got a rumble chat from Joyful from the Heart. Uh, an unvaxxed friend is in quarantine after returning home from surgery. She's not allowed to go for her medical appointments and tests for the good of all. It's terrible. We're hearing so much about this. People who are denied medical services because they haven't taken the vaccine yet. It's only going to get worse. And, and again, yesterday on the electric radio, Sheila, I heard that the Winnipeg Jets, when the season resumes later this year, you have mm -hmm. to have double vaccination. And they're claiming that, don't blame us, we polled uh, our season ticket holders and the vast majority said they want this policy. I really want to see that survey. I really want to see those numbers. I'm not buying it, Sheila. By the way, I thought these decisions were supposed to be made based on science and not public opinion polling. Excellent point. Yeah. Yeah. Follow the science, but you're not following the science. You're <laughs> yeah. following the public opinion pollings of your season ticket holders. What does yeah. that have to do with science? That That's kind of feelings. sounds like a populist approach. <laughs> it's all feelings. Um, and by the way, I saw an article today that said that the most vaccine hesitant people are roughly 42-year-old women, so me, um, but they vote liberal. So 42-year-old uh, 
educated, liberal voting women. Those are the vaccine hesitant ones. Oh, I didn't know that, Sheila. What do you yeah. account? For, what do you account for that? I don't know. It could be the fact that uh, studies are showing that those are the people who are experiencing vaccine injury at a greater rate. Yeah. The blood so clot issues. Could be a, you know. Yeah. Wow. No, that's there we yeah. go. Thank you, Johnny on the spot, Mr. Producer. Typical vaccine, a 42-year-old Ontario woman who votes liberal. Wow. In other words, the kind of woman I really don't want to meet. <laughs> yeah, bizarro, Sheila. <laughs> Sheila from another universe that lives in Ontario and votes for Justin Trudeau, but like literally me, but like on the other side of the mirror. Yeah. But we do have a meeting of the minds in terms of vaccine hesitancy, at least with this vaccine. I will uh, give the Ontario 42-year-old liberal voting woman that much. Do you know, I watched an Alexa video the other day. I was watching it through it for editorial reasons. And I was like, hang on here. Am I finding some camaraderie with folk music listening to Quebec hippies? Because I feel like I am right now. You oh, know, you, you would, never know. You I think I do. <laughs> I think I do. I'm like, they got dreads, but they're telling me things I want to hear. I don't know. It was it was a weird experience for me. Can you imagine uh, that, folks? The meeting of the minds there, the folk music loving Quebec hippies. And then here comes Sheila and her monster truck from Alberta. Hey, and we're on the same page. <laughs> they were sleeping in boogie vans. And I was like, why do I feel like I could get along with these people right now? It's a strange experience for me, but you know what? <laughs> Reminded me to keep an open mind. That's what it did. Indeed. Uh, we've got a hyper chat from Rebecca Henderson, who says, I always love to go to YouTube to like the video, then come over to Odyssey, Odyssey just to spite YouTube. Good girl. Good girl, Rebecca. <laughs> and you know what? I got to tell you, and I should, I should note this, and we've started making note of it in our videos on YouTube, that... If you want to see the full version of what we really want to tell you, you've got to go to the other platforms because YouTube, sometimes we can't put a video up at all and we have to post it over on the other platforms exclusively. So if you're watching us on YouTube, you're not going to see all of the work that we're doing because we can't post it there. Some things we can't get past the YouTube censors, things like vaccine passports. We just can't talk about it there. Um, but also there are separate versions of the same video because we have to edit things out to make them YouTube safe. So again, if you want the full news, you're never going to get it off YouTube. You have to go to those other platforms where you can find us if you want to see all the work that we're doing. And Sheila, um, I have to ask you, what are the rules when it comes to saying to a woman like Rebecca Anderson, good girl? Because I said that to Lady Menzoid the other day when I think she had successfully parallel parked. And I said, good girl. And she looked at you me. You know what? Good <laughs> for her. <laughs> she said, don't you ever say that again. So uh, what are the rules? That's what I'm asking. <laughs> I think it can. it's okay coming from another woman. Oh. However... Since everybody knows how old I am, if somebody says good girl or calls me a girl, I'm like, yeah, yep. What if I Thank say you. I yep. identify as a woman at the time I said that phrase? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know about that. It's so stuff. complicated, isn't it? <laughs> this is one of those things we can't talk about on YouTube. This right here. This is like, nope, nope. This is, this is how you end up in YouTube jail. Um, let's keep going. Okay. We got a super you from Hollywog. Will Rebel bring up that 50% of the premiers pushed jab passports have retired? 
50% of the premiers have retired. I think, are you talking about Brian Pallister, um, who uh, was one of the most oppressive uh, premiers in all of Canada when it comes to uh, COVID restrictions? Yep. One of the hardest on churches. I mean, he had the RCMP blocking roads to prevent people from going to church. They were guilty of pre-crimes of going to church there. Um, ticketing people all over the place, issuing warrants for the arrest of protesters, we've been covering that um, pretty exclusively here on Rebel News. We sent a reporter out there multiple times, uh, Sid, um, to cover some of the things that were going on there. Um, and yeah, he retired. He's like, yeah, we need vaccine passports. We're going to let the private sector bring in vaccine passports to you. Also, peace out. I'm out of here. And Sheila, let's not forget Pallister's, I think, most egregious move ever, which was a few months ago when uh, Maxime Bernier of the People's Party yeah. of Canada went to Winnipeg and was arrested and handcuffed. And I'll, and boy, did Mr. Bernier ever win that in the court of public opinion. When the RCMP officer says, do you have any weapons, sir? And Mr. Bernier says, yes, my words, my philosophy. Uh, what a beautiful moment uh, for Mr. Bernier. But that was despicable. That was clear out political intimidation in terms of shutting down freedom of speech and freedom of assembly. And Pallister is allegedly a conservative, Sheila? Yeah, yeah. I mean, his heavy handedness in Manitoba is the reason why I bet you Manitobans are going to experience maybe another decade of darkness with the NDP there again, because he just so disaffected normal conservatives. And yeah, he was an international embarrassment when he uh, arrested a federal politician, the leader of a federal party <laughs> who was coming to do basically a campaign event. He arrested yep. him. What a disgrace. Unbelievable. Okay, we've got a hyper chat from History Club World. I fully support the separation of church and state, but that must include the state avoiding meddling in the church. Sheila is right about Christian Christianity growing because of persecution. If it weren't for the Romans sending them to the lions, they probably uh, they would probably be just a minor religion or not exist at all. Um, you know, the separation of church and state, a lot of people misconstrue that. A lot of yeah. people don't really understand what that means. It doesn't mean that you can't be religious and be in government. I can't even believe that, you know, the government can take some of its morality from some of the religions. However, what it means is to separate uh, the church from the government, to protect the church from the government so that the government cannot mandate what happens in our churches and so that the, the state itself cannot pick an official religion to impose on everybody else the way they did in Soviet Russia, where, you know, you could either be an atheist or join the Russian Orthodox Church, with, which was just a proxy arm in many instances of the Soviet state. So that's what that's about. Um, it's not that you can't be a religious person in government or hold religious opinions or vote with your conscience that is determined by your religion. It's not any of those things. And people always misconstrue that. And, you know, the second a politician says, I'm a Christian, I'm a Catholic, I'm a Jew, the, the, the left says, oh, they're bringing their religion into their politics. Yes. Well, yeah, if you are a religious person, that, that, dictates, that dictates your morality. It dictates the party that you join. It's why I'm not a leftist. Um, and, you know, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding around that concept. 
Um, and let's continue. We've got a hyper chat from Roxanne. Phillips Brewery in Victoria, BC is going to ask for proof of vaccination for entry at their music festival next oh. month. Maybe, maybe you want to send that to Drea. Yes, I definitely will. Thank yeah. you. Uh, I'm writing that down. Okay, we've got another hyper chat from Rebecca Henderson. Uh, and she says, I live in Waterloo and there's so much bullying, actual hate speech directed at this church. Isn't that the truth? I saw, I saw the same thing unfold with Grace Life. People picketed Grace Life. How gross, right? Yeah. Um, I see news... I, I see news reports on Instagram. I politely comment that the fines are taking away from them helping the community. Yes. And I ask for stats and I get censored every time called horrible names just for saying that. Yeah. And let's not forget uh, Church of God in Elmer, Ontario being a count. Uh, there was a demonstration on the side of the highway of the Elmer, Ontario trans community uh, population too. And um, when I was asking what they were protesting about, as you know, Sheila, we, we have this video up if you want to see it, folks. They call the police and the police say, you've got to leave here or you're going to be, uh, I think it was charged with harassment. But how? We're in a public place where there's zero expectation of privacy, where there was a demonstration uh, taking place. But the transgendered uh, couple, uh, I, I don't know, they, they felt threatened by questions of what they were trying to do and uh, got law enforcement uh, sicked on us. Uh, Sheila, this world is upside down. Uh, it, it is so crazy. The only question I have for you is, are we at peak crazy yet? Uh, you know what? This is why I make a point every day to just try to stay right with Jesus because it feels like the end of days. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. It does. Like everything's upside down. We're, we're good pastors, godly men, good family men. They're the enemy of the state right now. Yeah. Um, you know, we saw some of what Rebecca Henderson is talking about here with the full gospel outreach center in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan, one of the poorest churches I've ever seen. And I've been to Northern Iraq and I've walked through the remains of bombed out churches. And this reminded me of that poor inner city church ministers to drug addicts, feeds, clothes, and houses the least of our brothers, like actually yeah. uh, carrying out the commission of Christ, the things yeah. we're called to do. And because he didn't limit his uh, church capacity, because the inner city, sometimes homeless, sometimes drug addicted people that he ministers to, uh, for example, he didn't force them to wear masks when they were singing in his church. He received, I think it was a $14,000 lockdown ticket. And one of the evangelists also received another lockdown ticket. And this church, I mean, the, the amount of good, important work that they could do to help the homeless and the drug addicted, the forgotten people of downtown Prince Albert, the, the amount of help and good that they could do with $14,000, far more than any government could do with $14,000. Oh, yeah. But the government needed that money from them. So we stepped up and so did all of our generous donors through fightthefines.com. We helped Pastor Vern and we got that ticket tossed. And so he was able to keep that $14,000 in his bank account to help the people who really need it. And so for me, when I, when I, uh, whenever I feel like we're up against a lot with Fight the Fines, we have like almost 2,500 people, churches, businesses that we're helping. I always think about that and the the difference that it made in his church. But, you know, like an $880 ticket for a family that's on the edge, that's that's the same, right? So um, I forget where I was going with that. But I mean, it, it is it's about the persecution of the churches. And and, uh, you know, as Rebecca, as Rebecca pointed out, taking this money from the church 
and giving it to the state, it's no big deal for the state, but boy, it sure makes a difference on the ground to the people oh, the churches help. Does it ever? And as a sidebar, Sheila, don't you ever dare go to Iraq again. I was so stressed out when you were there. I mean, that's a very dangerous place. So uh, you get a bad girl for that, even though your intentions were completely good. I want to go back. I was talking about <laughs> it the other day with somebody, another journalist in the conservative realm. And we were talking about what it was like when it was there, when I was there. And I was like, I wish I could go back. I want to go back to the churches. I want to see the the good that we've done since then through the support, again, of everybody who donated to Save the Christians. I want to go back. I want to go to mass there in the church that was destroyed in Butnaya. There, there was so much that I wanted to do, but I only was on the ground for like three and a half days. I did not know if it was light or day when I... I was there because it takes like two days to get there and you're sleeping in airports, you're living out of a backpack and then you're there and it's like, I don't know if it's day or night and you're just moving all the time wow. and then you come home and then you decompress and you're like, holy cow, I was in a war zone with Christians <laughs> who survived a genocide and I feel like it, I, I didn't even get to take in at all. So I'd like yeah. to go back, Ezra, if you're watching, let's consider that. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and I think we're all caught up on the uh, chats. So maybe we should talk about the luxury tax. Yes. And I can see why, you know, the Trudeau liberals would see this amongst their Laurentian elite urban base as, yeah, and there you go. There you got um, a, a, a brand new Audi there um, and people going, uh, yeah, um, that's right. Uh, tax the rich, man. Um, you know, if someone can afford a Porsche or uh, an Audi R8 or a Ferrari or a Lamborghini, they can surely afford a little extra bit of tax, um, which, okay, uh, fair game. But as you said off the hopper, Sheila, when we came on, this so-called luxury tax also affects about 90% of the vehicles in the oil patch. These aren't, you know, Gucci-wearing Porsche and Lamborghini drivers. No. These are the guys, the everyman, the blue-collar laborers going out there to do really hard work in a sector that's already been devastated, thanks to Trudeau and now Biden policies, and you're going to throw another tax on them? How shameless. Well, that's the thing. Like it says in our article, thank you, Margaret and Dave, for always making sure that you are right on the money with these articles and you write them up so fast. But it says the Trudeau Liberals have launched consultations to design a proposed luxury tax, which would apply to the purchase of new luxury cars and aircraft with a retail sale price of over $100,000 and new boats over $250,000. Uh, explaining that the impact of the COVID recession, well, it was a COVID recession because they closed our businesses, but okay, has been very uneven. The federal government states that it's fair today to ask those Canadians who can afford to buy luxury goods to contribute a little bit more. The tax would be calculated at the lesser of 20% of the value above these thresholds, $100,000 for cars and aircraft, $250,000 for boats, or 10% of the full value of the luxury car, <clears throat> boat, or aircraft. And it's proposed to come into force January 1st, 2022. Um, if anybody knows anything about a blue collar pickup truck, um, you know, you, you get yourself, uh, I'm not doing an ad for Dodge here, but, um, you get a, you get a Dodge Longhorn. The only reason I know is because there's, a, there have been a series of them sitting in my driveway for the last 10 or so years. And, uh, you know, you, you get a Longhorn, 
you get it, maybe it's a dually. Now you need new tires because you have to take it out onto a, a lease. You drive really junky lease roads. Uh, you need to get a lift kit because you need to haul a trailer with it. Uh, you need to get rock guarded on it. Uh, so you get the 3M coating and pretty Oh, and then you start adding things into the cab. So you want um, scotch guarding. You've got to make sure you have the extra outlets because this is also your office. And you are up at $100,000 like that. But it's also your office. It's also It also hauls your cattle. And it's how you get back and forth to your job at minus 40 on a terrible lease road for six or eight months of the year and for justin trudeau and the downtown liberals of toronto and the people who exist in the ottawa montreal bubble that's a luxury vehicle it's a necessity yeah. it's a workplace here in alberta and now these people who already pay enormous taxes and carbon taxes in that nice new pickup truck now they have to pay a luxury tax to a bunch of people who have the audacity, like Christia Freeland, to take a, a jet to her location and then send her private limo up oh, the yeah. road to pick her up for three hours. These are the people saying that you live a life of luxury. It's gross. It is. And, uh, you know, I, I'm sure, Sheila, if we're looking at a Ford F-350, uh, you know, a, a GMC Super Duty uh, pickup, pickup truck. These are all six figures off lot. Easy. Yep. And, um, Easy. And you know what? I, I, it, I think um, we should, would it be great going forward if uh, the media, instead of showing uh, European uh, luxury sports cars, uh, instead uses the photo um, a Ford F-350 or, or one of your, um, you know, Ram uh, pickup trucks that you were speaking of, that would drive home the message because that people would go, wait a minute, that doesn't look like a Lamborghini. It's the precise opposite. And that's the point. It, this, this is something much like the 1971 Ford Pinto looked good on paper, but in reality, uh, it's a bust. Yeah, for me, it just shows how disconnected they are from the people who build this country every single day, who bring you the fuel, who bring you the food, yeah. food. Um, because it's just it, it isn't just the oil patch. This is farmers, too. You know, farmers who are uh, price takers, not price setters, um, who are experiencing a drought right now, who are going to see a, a hike in the cost of feed for their cattle, and then they have to sell their cattle uh, as price takers and not price makers. And then the liberals are coming to tax your pickup truck that you took your cattle to market with after you fed them some overpriced hay. That's what this comes down to. But Sheila, let's not kid the kidders, as they say down on the midway. The fact that this is going to adversely affect more Westerners than Easterners, that, that's the point. You know, the Liberals have written off the West, more or less, uh, certainly yeah. Alberta. So an adverse policy to Albertans, they don't give a rodent's rectum. You know, they're all about the uh, vote-heavy uh, Laurentian elite territory. And so if farmers, if oil patch workers have to suffer, hey, so be it. You know, no skin off their nose. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we can all just haul our cattle to market in a Prius or on an electric bicycle. <laughs> um, and if it affects the construction workers working on Bombardier projects, well, the liberals would just hand them more money on the front side in the form of bailouts and, exactly. and subsidies to Bombardier and, and SNC-Lavalin. This doesn't bother any of their friends, so they just don't care. Unbelievable. Well, so there's the real story behind that luxury tax when it comes to 100K vehicles, folks. And of course, uh, as Sheila pre-advertised, 
The uh, whistle stop owner, well, check this out, folks. He's going on the offensive. Uh, is we have filed a claim against um, Her Majesty the Queen and right of the province of Alberta, the Chief Medical Officer of Health and Alberta Health Services regarding the COVID-19 response and restrictions that we've seen over the last year and a half. The owner of the Whistle Stop Cafe is suing the Alberta government for the damage caused to him and for violating his charter rights. Chris Scott could not do any of this, however, without your help. This is a big one, and it's extremely important. We have grave concerns that the cornerstones of democracy okay. are crumbling under the jackboot of government oppression. Chris's lawsuit focuses specifically on a handful of paramount precepts of fundamental freedoms that should be enshrined in a just and democratic society. The Freedom, the fundamental freedom of expression, freedom of peaceful assembly, and the freedom of association, especially and specifically as these principles relate to the right to gather in groups to protest government action and to meet with others for political purposes in pursuit of common political goals. I love Chad Williamson. I Me love too. <laughs> I love his vernacular, the jackboot of government oppression uh, and the fact that he is a brilliant uh, lawyer. I guess, Sheila, as always, with a, a challenge like this, it comes down to what are his chances of success? Well, you know, it, it's Chad, so it's pretty good. Um, yep. You know, and I guess at the end of the day, you've got to stand up and fight back. The, the state, with Chris Scott specifically, they harassed him for months and months and months. Tickets, fines, summonses, over and over again. Uh, they got court orders that, at least two that could have been resulted in his imprisonment. The second one actually did result in his imprisonment. They seized his property, collectively punished the entire town of Mirror because it's the only gas station and convenience store in town for 20 kilometers. Punished them all. They took the campsite for some reason. All... And then they restrained his right to hold a protest of all these things that the government has done to him. They took him to jail for three days. Then they want 21 three more days. days out of him. They want 21 more days for breaking that court order. So who's, who's going to answer for this? Who's going to explain themselves on the record why they think any of this was justified? Because it has never been for months and months and months. All the data shows now, he's been open since January, just given her no COVID outbreaks there, including from the protest. So what? How does? how is any of this justified? Let's get him into court and make them justify it. You know, and, and I think you're you're absolutely right, uh, Sheila. The, uh, the chances of success are very good because it is a veteran, skilled lawyer like Chad Williamson working on this case. There's another case in Alberta. I'm not even going to mention it because it's not worth mentioning it because it's 100% fraudulent in the claims where it was so much homemade lawyering and uh, a, a person uh, claiming victory against the Alberta Health Services where there was no victory. And that's what happens when you get homemade lawyering, uh, Sheila. That, that, and I think our boss, Ezra Levin, if there's one thing that he hates, it's homemade lawyering because more often than not, you're destined for disaster. But with Chad Williamson at the helm, uh, I think he does indeed have a fantastic chance of success. I believe we have some chat, Sheila. We do. Now, 
uh, we, before I go on, Chad's the perfect fight the finds lawyer. He's like so yeah. cowboy and he's just, he loves freedom and he loves yeah. freedom and he's just so passionate about fighting it. And he's the right guy for the job. He's been great um, at helping Chris Scott so far. He understands the need for freedom here in Alberta and he doesn't like government overreach the same way we don't like government overreach. So if you want to help Chad and Chris Scott at the whistle stop, get the government into court to make them answer for all the things that they did to Chris Scott. You can donate today to help them at fightthefines.com. We're helping, like I said earlier, nearly uh, 2,500 Canadians, just normal people trying to live a normal life who got tickets for it in these most abnormal times. And all your donations there now qualify for a charitable tax receipt through our partnership with the Democracy Fund. Now let's do the chats. <laughs> uh, we've got... Oh, here you go. Uh, we've got a uh, hyper chat of $10. Well, that's very much from Token. I know you from Twitter. Sent uh, you a book on Bitcoin, Sheila, via the Toronto office. Okay. It takes a little bit for them to uh, gather up enough mail for me and then send it to me. So I'll get it eventually. I appreciate that very much. Something to look over in your copious spare time. Yeah, lots of spare time. Have fun. Regards to Justin. Oh. And Justin is just asking if the book has illustrations because Justin is very big on what he calls graphic novels. So uh, that's very important. <laughs> what are you making fun of him for? You read comic books, which is just the same. No, I read graphic novels too, in all honesty. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you, Justin. Justin says graphic novels are for children, and it's true. <laughs> you know what the graphic... So were Dr. Seuss books and a bunch of those you can't get anymore either. <laughs> I would rather just watch the movie instead of like read a graphic novel, right? I don't know. Okay. I guess. Okay, fine. Okay, I'll let's keep going. Uh, <laughs> let's keep going. Justin said we can't go late today and we're already go we've oh. gone late. Okay. Uh, we've got a hyper chat from History Club World answering David's prior question. The pronunciation of Z as Z is based on a separate French word, but as America was largely English, and Spanish, it evolved past the French. Okay. Still this, don't I'm understand. Gonna end, I'm going to end up on a YouTube rabbit hole. David, watch your email. I'll send you the answers. Um, <laughs> we've got a hyper chat from Rebecca Henderson again. My job is to help refugees find food, rent, money, and I always ask churches for help in that. I can say from experience that since churches have been closed, it's the most vulnerable who suffer the most when churches are being closed, find because there are fewer donors when closed or tickets have to pay. Yeah, that's exactly it. You close a church, uh, you cut the people off uh, from the church, and the people who need the church the most are the most vulnerable, either emotionally, psychologically, or physically vulnerable. And you know what, Sheila? These are some of the true COVID casualties, but they'll never go into the books as COVID casualties. All, all the things that we see, the depression, the suicides, the spousal abuse... Um, because of Drug the lockdowns. Abuse. Exactly. So yeah. it's, it's yeah, very I, sad. I saw in Alberta that opioid deaths doubled during the course of go. the pandemic. That's and that's absolutely problem. no surprise. Yep. Yeah, no surprise. Uh, I think we're all caught up. And Justin probably said we can't go late because he has lunch waiting or something. Oh, okay then. Well, uh, who am I to get in front of uh, 
Justin and his uh, Burger King <laughs> Whopper. Sorry, Justin. So, <laughs> so, folks, thank you so much for tuning in. To those who gave a donation, we really appreciate that. Thank you so much. So on the behalf of Justin and Sheila, I'm David Menzies signing off. And until we see you next Tuesday, stay sane.